Hello creatives, it's Ed here back with another banging episode of Don't Think Act. I am just so overjoyed at this one. Um, Holly Renault is a very good friend of mine, but she's also one of the most talented people I know. She's the second person calling from a whole other country, only this time, not in the UK. And um, we talk about a lot of things. Um, some shocking advice that she received during a Shakespeare conference. Um, we talk about her accent challenge that she does, which I highly recommend if you want to finesse those accents. She is a master of dialects. Um, she's coached A-list actors and a variety of people. She's so, so good and very affordable. Um, we also talk about uh, what it's like when you book high-profile jobs um, and then your part gets cut. Um, something that is not talked about enough in the business. Um, there are so many moments of inspiration and laughs along the way in this journey. So thank you for joining me. So here it is. Don't think act. Great to see you. This is, this is very cool. Yeah, it's great to see you. And um, congratulations on your wedding. Thank you. <laughs> it looks amazing. Yeah, we had a great time. It was just a full weekend and so nice so yeah awesome. it was perfect i love the podcast oh thanks yeah i've listened to a bunch of it oh cool oh yeah. great i listened to it when you first posted it i listened to some and then some more in the last couple of days so brilliant really appreciate it it's um it's yeah it's been really cool like i can see i'm not really like i'm not um focused on how many people are listening but I'm more like, where are people listening? And mm -hmm. um, someone is listening in Saskatoon. <laughs> <laughs> Random. <laughs> um, well, I can only... Who lives in Saskatoon? Does Ed live in Saskatoon? Yeah. So it's got, it can only be Ed. It has to be Ed. <laughs> I'm trying to think who else it could be. Maybe Danielle. Is she in Saskatoon as well? Yeah, she's back in right. Saskatoon okay. now. So it could be her. Right. So it's one, one, so it's one, one of you two. Tell the other ones this as well, so I can get a couple of please. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's really cool. Like just having a look at where people are, like some yeah, some really like random countries coming up. So it's just really nice. Um, but it's yeah, it's just you're very good at it. Oh, thank you. I, I, I'm, I'm learning all the time. Like every time I do one of these. I'm, I'm learning and um, knowing when to, where to put my energy as well. It's really, really interesting. Because mm. uh, and and how to deal with people who aren't very forthcoming sometimes or aren't don't have yeah the bigger, person, bigger personalities and, and and that's fine because I still think it's really important that those people have their space yeah. to to speak and and give them the time and not everybody needs to be like oh, I have a few people who are like quite loud and quite. You know, have very um, what's the word I'm looking for sort of extrovert kind of personalities. Yeah, and some people are more introverted, so it's good. I'm, at least I'm getting a mix. Yeah, it's really um, nice to have a mix. I think it's really important too, especially because there's such a stereotype of like all actors are like on all the time. And no, <laughs> it's just not true. <laughs> really not. <laughs> really not. <laughs> right, well, should we start? Yeah. Okay.
You are listening to the Don't Think Act podcast with Ed Ismail. Well, I'm absolutely honoured to welcome you to the Don't Think Act podcast, Holly Renault. Wonderful, creative, and very good friend. Um, I always like to start at the beginning. So, where were you born? Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. <laughs> now, you were the first person I met from there. I'd never heard of that place before, and it sounds like somewhere from Star Wars. It's such an <laughs> it's such an unusual name, like such a unique name. Yeah, it's it's a unique place. It's brilliant. Um, and where do you live now? I live in the mountains outside of Madrid, Spain. Wow. Oh God, we've got so much to unpack. Um, there are many places in between. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what was it like growing up in Saskatoon? What can you tell me about it? Saskatoon was uh, great and cold and mosquito-filled place to grow up. (laughs) So um, it's a pretty small city. I would say equal parts, like very sports-driven, agriculture-driven, very tight-knit community. It definitely has that like um, feel of places where it's everyone against the cold for half the year. So that innately sort of builds a sense of community in a really unique way, I think, of everyone just helping each other. People are incredibly friendly. People are incredibly supportive. Not always incredibly supportive of the arts, but that has changed a lot since I left. Um, And there is a big fringe festival that travels across Canada. So we had a really big you know, a week or 10 days or whatever it was during the summer where suddenly everyone loved theatre and then they forgot about it for the rest of the year. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a great, very safe, very nice place to grow up. But given that I now live in Spain, you can imagine how I feel about the extreme cold, (laughs) which wasn't for me. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned mosquitoes. Yeah, in the summer, it's very hot, but there's a lot that you can't do because you're just swatting mosquitoes the entire time, mm. all summer. <laughs> so it's, really I remember nice. counting them and being like 86, 87, it, like if you got to 100, it was like, I got 100 <laughs> bites today. Uh, oh, wow. Not fun. Yeah, but, not an insect I would associate with Canada. That's, that's yeah. fascinating. There's a lot, there are a lot of lakes. So anywhere there's yeah. lakes, there are mosquitoes and a big yeah, room. Yeah, of course. Well, that's awesome. And um, and how did acting or performing first come to you? Uh, performing first came, I actually started in dance, not 
the typical like jazz ballet. I started in Highland dance and loved it and did quite well, competed. Then in school, we always did like the musicals and I was the most horrific person in like primary school musicals because I just was like, I am very good. <laughs> really? Awful. I was awful. I just, because I worked really hard and I had to learn how to work with other people and be like, oh, everyone else can do their part. I would just be like, that was his mistake, not mine. <laughs> like, terrible. <laughs> Absolutely horrific. Um, wow. But I was so concerned about like, oh my God, what if they think I made this huge mistake? It was very insecure. So it always comes from insecurity. But uh, mm. obviously I got kind of through that and learned not to just call people out on their mistakes <laughs> in rehearsals and stuff. Um, and it, it just kind of naturally, I, to be honest, don't remember a time when I wasn't acting. And there are hilarious photos of me when I was like two wearing only my nappy and my dad's watch and I would just regularly stand in front of a TV and watch myself and like hold the watch up and look at it and move around and do a little dance and watch myself <laughs> on TV and my parents were like oh god <laughs> so so yeah then dance moved into musical theater and stuff at school and then over the years um I had a I went to a really artistic high school that had a theater company attached to it apart from the school. So our school sort of fed into this other company that we did shows outside of school and then it all just snowballed from there. Wow. How did you go about so yeah, you mentioned how did you go about getting training or more experience then once you realized this was something you wanted to do? Well, I had um I went to, you know, different classes again in the school. We had a lot of, it was a really good drama program. So I did get a lot of training in high school. And then after that, I actually had no intention of being an actor professionally. Mm -hmm. I started uni with the plan of going into either microbiology and genetics or archaeology. <laughs> and I ended up wow. doing acting and that was the only thing that kept me going through because I'm very interested. I think like a lot of actors are interested and curious in many areas and subjects. And I'd be like, I want to do this. No, I want to do psychology. No, I want to do neurology. No genetics. No. And I just would flick back and forth between everything because I find most things pretty fascinating, except then I realized I can find it very interesting, but that doesn't mean I like the job attached with it. So right. I loved archaeology. I love hearing about, you know, different cultures and people and imagining different times, but I don't love having to do all of the paperwork associated with an archaeological dig and survey and tracking everything. And that just isn't for me. So then I realized I was doing those other things whilst also thinking, as long as I can still do acting, I'm going <laughs> to, and then thought maybe I should just audition for the acting program. Um, which I did. And then thankfully my, my family's from London. So then I went and did some summer programs in London at Guildhall and at East 15. Um, and kind of then just moved immediately after graduating from my acting program. 
When, when, when did you do those um, ones at East 15 and Guildhall? When, what, how old were you then? I was, I think, 20, maybe. Yeah, yeah, 20. It was like not quite in the middle of my program, towards the end of my program. Um, and I just did a summer. They were the summer programs. It was the first time Guildhall did a summer intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was brilliant because I we had all of the full-time staff, which now I think they don't. They hire in, you know, like yeah. sessionals and stuff. But we got everyone. <laughs> Patsy Rodenberg did our voice. And we were like, oh, my God. You know, it was really exciting. So, so yeah. And so did you say it was after then that you wanted to move? Did that want to make you move to London? Yeah. Then as soon as I finished, I kind of always had an idea that I would move to London when I finished my program to avoid the cold and mosquitoes and obviously have more opportunities. So yeah, pretty much. I mean, I graduated in June and in September, even earlier, August, I was already living in the UK. And uh, how did you find like the move to you know when you decided you were going to be here on a more permanent basis? How was that? Yeah, it was great. I mean, I met so many incredible people. I definitely had the thing I think a lot of actors have of being like big fish in a small pond to teeny tiny fish in a very big pond. Um, and so I had a lot of difficulties getting anywhere and getting seen for things and my program was the oldest acting program in Canada but then in the UK nobody had heard of it it wasn't like a a drama school you know and so I had a hard time kind of getting things going at first and then um so I found a job front of house and it turned out to be the best thing I'd ever done and met the best people and sort of found a different community in the way that I hadn't had back in Saskatoon. It was a much bigger, broader, more open group of people that then gave me back a bit of the confidence from the shock of the change, gave the confidence back a bit to like try different things and approach it from this angle and um, and work on doing my own thing a bit. So. It was a. I think it was a really positive change. Yeah, and did you did you find or well did you feel like it was um it was an even bigger challenge because obviously like the industry over here is pretty kind of elitist, especially particularly around the time you would have come up come over. Um, you know, it wasn't as open in in regards to to casting and and obviously there's um casting favors you know sort of the top five agencies who have the people mm-hmm. from the top five drama schools uh, yeah. so did, so we've got that so we've got that in place and then obviously you're from from another country um did that did, did that add more pressure or, or, or feel like more of a challenge in any way yeah it did i spent a long time considering doing a master's just one of these one-year ma's to get the the school on the CV, you know, Mm -hmm. and even getting spotlight was hard because it was like, you have to prove all of these things. And my stuff wasn't seen as, you know, valid or accredited or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then it was basically, I did 
do some things. Like I did a couple of shows, I did a few tours, but they were because of language skills. So I did, you know, TIE like everybody does, but I did it in Spanish. And so it turned out to be the language skills that helped get me the jobs <laughs> instead of the acting. And in the end, I continued studying different things, which I'm really grateful for because I got much more into Shakespeare than I had been previously and started going and seeing things at the Globe and the RSC and fell in love with that world and actually ended up going to this big, it was like an international conference at the RSC that I ridiculously, not ridiculously, rightfully just wrote an email and it was like all of the directors of all these companies and schools and like everyone in the world of Shakespeare. It was one of these anniversaries of something. I don't remember which what it was, um, but everyone was going to be there. And I sent a message being like, I would like to attend. And they said, yes. So I went and ended up getting into some big arguments with people, which I probably shouldn't have argued with certain people that I argued with, but they were saying things like, arguing the point that it should be kept still a little bit elitist and that's what gives people credit is the fact that they have gone to these schools and there's sort of were two different camps in the conference of people who were of that mm. you know train of thought or opinion and people who were against that and so it was really revealing and really interesting to first of all, just be there with all of these people who I was like, oh my God. Um, and then also see that actually they didn't even agree with each other and they were just normal people trying to do what they liked doing. And there was never a, a full opinion. Yes, this is great. No, that is not. And so it, it hammered in how subjective everything is. Um, and then one man who was wonderful sat down with me on the last day of the conference and basically said, we had a drink as you do. And he basically said, look, I think you should leave. And I went, oh, what do you mean? And he said, I think you're gonna have a really hard time getting seen for the things that you deserve to be seen for without a few more credits and a bit more experience behind you to put on your CV because it's either one of these drama schools or you know, fight your way up and if you go and get some credits elsewhere where it's easier to get them and then come back, you'll be in a much better position. And it's it was crazy, that conversation. But I did leave. When he, when he said leave, did he mean leave the conference or leave Yeah, leave the country. Leave the British. Oh, in wow. Yeah. And he, he said, out. I think you should go elsewhere where you're going to more easily be seen for things build up some more experience and then come back and i was like okay <laughs> i mean i mean you you were there you lived it so was that was that did that feel like that was someone giving advice and 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 giving you a realistic outlook as to the state of the business at the time or was it someone being very snooty about the fact that you were here in this country trying to attain what you no it was the first. Right, okay. It right. was definitely the first because, um, and it has changed, thankfully, since then. You know, this was many, many years ago, and now it is, I think, getting a bit better. But his advice was really, 
that you're going to have a hard time being seen for the things that you should be seen for, which I took to heart because he'd seen me do a lot of work over this conference. So there were a few actors that were in attendance and anytime there was some kind of practical thing, they were looking at training and all sorts of stuff. So they invited us to participate. And so it was incredible. You know, I got to be directed by John Barton, who to me was like the God of Shakespeare and all of these things. And then to have someone who I really kind of grew to respect over those few days say, look, I'm going to be honest. It might be a good option for you to leave. That would be my recommendation. Go elsewhere and come back. <laughs> wow. And so I did. <laughs> so, well, yeah, that's see, that was <laughs> that was what I was going to ask next. Mm -hmm. So you've, you've been in, you know, you've been in a room of people, and you've heard obviously you've heard different opinions, but you've heard people who have influence in the business mm -hmm. um, talking about how they feel that you know, the elitism should remain. And then you have this one-to-one -one mm -hmm. chat with this guy who basically tells you to leave the country. Yeah. But I guess, so you didn't, your reaction was to, to sort of stay and fight for the artist in you or, or, did, you, or did you feel like giving up? And... Well, I, I had realised by that point that I wasn't where I thought I would be. You know, I sort of had this idea that somehow it would be much easier than it really was. And I was very happy with life in London, but I wasn't getting the work that I hoped for in London. Mm. And I didn't really know how to get it. Nobody had really taught me the business side of it. Mm. And I was very naive and very, I just didn't really know what to, how to manage a career. I felt like I knew how to act, but I didn't know how to get an agent. I didn't know how to put myself forward for things. I was pretty clueless. So I was already feeling this kind of like, oh, I don't really know what to do. Um, and attended this incredible conference and saw a lot of inspiring things. And then the situation happened where, of course, it's a boy always, but the person I was dating got a job elsewhere in Hong Kong. And I went, oh, cool, an excuse. And so I went there. And throughout living in London, I got really into accent coaching. That's the thing that happened completely by mistake. I started doing it in Canada when I was 17. And that was the thing that kind of continued whilst I was not getting my acting career off the ground in the way that I thought I would, I continued coaching people. Hmm. And then in Hong Kong, I coached people at the National Conservatory, and that was wonderful. So the, the accent coaching kind of came up while the acting was a bit stagnant. So I still felt like I was part of the industry. I just wasn't necessarily doing all of the things I wanted to do within that industry. So it did feel like the right decision to kind of leave and reassess and readjust. And did you go, you went back to Canada for a little bit, didn't you? Yeah, I, after Hong Kong, I went back to Canada, got some work immediately, um, just back at home in the local theater. So I taught and directed there. I did a couple of tours of shows, got accepted to study at Shakespeare and Company in the US. So I was there for a bit. After that, I moved to Dublin, and Dublin was really where the acting kind of moved up and leveled out with the accent coaching. 
So it was a roundabout way of getting back to working what I thought I would be doing in London. It just took a lot longer and a lot more pit stops on the way. Is there anyone else that stand out that, because um, obviously we've gone through like the difficulties you had being in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in the UK, for those that are listening. Um, so how, what were the differences sort of, um, um, uh, you know, in the US and then, and then Dublin? Yeah. I guess Dublin is a bit more less judgy and less elitist, I, I would assume. Yes, but, yeah. Dublin was amazing. Dublin was where um, things really started to get off the ground because everyone was just so much more accessible. You could just write an email to a casting director without an agent and get seen. And I learned that I do much better in a slightly smaller pool. I'm I'm not great at like the hustle of like fighting my way into being seen for things. I really like to be in situations where I can just reach out to someone and send a normal human message and go, hi, I, I know you're casting this. I think I'd be really good. This is my information. Blah, blah, blah. And they replied, <laughs> you know, like I, I had gone to Dublin for a holiday and saw a casting thing. Just, I always look up, you know, acting stuff wherever I go. And I had a quick investigation and found some things and sent my stuff in just for laughs and heard back and got seen. And I thought, Oh my God, I think I need to stay here. (laughs) (laughs) I can get seen. And so, yeah. And it just went really well. And I did some shows and I ended up doing a show for the BBC. So my goal was to be in a BBC period drama and I finally got cast in one. Um, I was cut from it in the end, but that's another story. But <laughs> oh. I still did it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was wonderful to have just easier access to people and opportunities. So how did you end up in Spain? I ended up in Spain <laughs> um, largely because of the getting cut story. So ah. uh, I had three big jobs in one year. And I was like, I have made it. Like I did my BBC period drama. I did an HBO series and I did a like Hollywood feature and they were all small roles. None of it was like, you know, I wasn't the lead, but I never really wanted to necessarily be the lead. I just wanted to be kind of a jobbing, make my living. And so I had these small roles and all of these things. And for very understandable reasons, I ended up being cut from all of them which was just very bad luck, (laughs) but good luck in the end because it made me sort of stop and go, hang on, I I don't like this feeling of I've done this work and I was so excited and I felt like I finally made it and did it and now I have nothing, I'm not in it. You know, I don't get the moment of seeing it and putting it on my CV and sending it to people. So it made me kind of step back and go like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this right now. I think I need a break. I think I might need to just leave it. And two weeks later I was in Spain (laughs) and I completely left acting forever as we all do many times (laughs) over and over again. Plus a week. (laughs) Um, And I got a job teaching English. 
And throughout all of this, I was also continuing the accent and dialect coaching. And the one of the first people I met in Madrid was a friend of a friend in Dublin who just said he was Spanish. And he said, oh, I have a friend in Madrid. He's an actor as well. You should meet. Um, and so we did. And so I immediately sort of fell into this incredible group of actors because he was quite successful. And everyone in that group now are like successful to on the level that I hardly ever see them because they're off winning awards and filming, you know, they have the, the careers many of us would dream of having, you know, just mm -hmm. that's all they do all year. Um, but it was really great to sort of fall into that group because then I started coaching them. And so then in this country, my coaching work started at a level that wasn't from zero. It was like, oh, you're coaching this person. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I, I quite like to work with you. So I really feel like leaving acting forever caused me to come to the place where I really landed on my feet. I had lowered the stakes for myself, so I didn't feel so much pressure, which made me much more at ease. And of course, you know, like we all have experienced at some point in auditions, if you're feeling good and like, well, I might not get it anyway, so I might as well enjoy myself. That's usually when you do your best work. And so the move to Spain for me was when I finally kind of took the pressure off and went, do you know what? Well, let's just see what happens. <laughs> and I didn't make the huge list of, I want to be cast in this and this and this and this and this. I just let it be. And it's worked out very well. And you knew Spanish before you moved to Spain, right? Yeah, I knew I took half a year off when I was at uni to come and live in Spain and study Spanish. So I had enough that I could have basic conversations. And then in my first year, I studied a lot and practiced a lot so that I could get it up to a level where I could work in Spanish or in English. Um, oh, brilliant. So talented bean. Um <laughs> language skills <laughs> yeah yeah i know I, I i keep thinking about learning another language um but actually i think the next language i'd like to learn is is sign language um uh, i think it's such a useful skill yeah um and um yeah it's just one that i've noticed there seems to be a need for i think um just just in general just in life um so yeah i'd like to have a crack at that first stuff about me with your varied experience did you did you come to a point where you felt like you were more comfortable or had a preference of where you were performing, whether it was on stage or on screen? I've always been more comfortable on stage. Mm -hmm. um, lately, though, since being in Spain, I've done more screen than stage. Um, and here, my whole career has just been like an explosion of different things. So now I'd say I've done more acting on screen um, and on mic, just voice acting, voice and acting animation yeah. and dubbing and voiceover and, and that kind of thing, which I found actually the most liberating of all of them because nobody's watching. So it's really nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You do that in isolation then? You don't do it with anyone else? When you, do the uh, you do it with other people, usually for animation, um, not typically for anything else. So if 
we're doing like an animated series or something like that. If the scenes have more than one character, they'll be in the room. Um, but no, and dubbing as well. I it's usually just by yourself. And how how do you how do you um, deal with the differences of like going from collaborating on something quite intense to then being on your own? How's that? That's hard. <laughs> um, yeah, that took some work and a lot of trial and error and try again and a lot of really kind directors and people that I was working with to help get the performance to the level it needed to be without having anything else around and without being able to depend on your body at all. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I do now find it incredibly freeing because I do all kinds of things physically that don't make any sense in order to get my voice to do certain things. Cause that's all that matters. Mm. Um, so voice acting has been a whole other area that I didn't anticipate being in and acting on camera is, has been great too. It's interesting seeing like the different cultural dynamics of actors working together and the crew and just how set feels with different cultures and different languages and it's it's fascinating to me being on set and the, the work that you've done in spain has it been in spanish and english yeah yeah it's been in both so um i've only done one theater show which was in spanish wow. and then i've done a few series and a film and they were all in english um Ooh. But working with the the crew and everyone was Spanish, so it was. I I usually end up being like the the translator <laughs> unofficially <laughs> because uh, they'll bring in actors from other places who don't speak Spanish, and you know sometimes the director is Spanish, and I think it's really cool because it makes everything feel really like oh my my gosh, it's really a global industry now where you can have crews from multiple countries and teams and actors are coming in from everywhere. It just felt really like that is changing in a nice way. And because you got the, the language down and you know, you're embedded in the culture now, do you, do you pass the Spanish? Do, do people get surprised that you're yeah, from Canada? Yeah, I can. Um, I have to really concentrate on it in order for the accent not to reveal anything. <laughs> but yeah. I can. I usually don't pass as Spanish because I don't look Spanish at all. Um, but now and then someone will be like, wait, where, where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Being an accent coach helps. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I have done quite a lot of work on accents. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. We'll come to your accents in a bit. Um, I wondered if you could go back and remember to what, what it was like to have your headshots done for the first time mm -hmm. and, and how you found that, if you, I could, felt if you like, can remember. Yep, I felt I was in high school um, and it just felt like a school photo. I had no idea what to do. I was just like, take a cute picture. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> um, and I got them done. This is very embarrassing. I went through a phase where I was like, I'm going to be a singer. And I was nice. a super fan girl of NSYNC. 
And I was like, I am going to open for NSYNC. So I need a, sh- a headshot. Um, so my first ones weren't really for acting. They were because I had recorded a demo, which I sent with my photo to Justin Timberlake's mother. <laughs> Very embarrassingly. <laughs> um, with a kind request to sign me to her label because she temporarily tried to like feed off of her son's success and start a record label called Just In Time Entertainment. Amazing. So there, zing. And so I was like, this is perfect. I will send my photo and my demo. He will see me, fall in love, hear my voice, think I'm an angel, and invite me <laughs> to all <my> friends think. <laughs> so, so that's what I did. <laughs> it didn't work. But I did. Did, you, did you get a reply? <laughs> I did not get a reply. <laughs> Outrageous. Outrageous. Justin's mother. Justin, you don't know. Well, Justin's mum. Don't know what you're missing. Um, well, you know, NSYNC have just reunited, so there's still hope. There's know. still hope. Waiting for the tour announcement. Just <laughs> send her another letter. Uh, yes. Remember me? <laughs> Do you remember me? I'm the girl from Saskatoon. <laughs> um, so that was my first headshot. My first actor's headshots yeah. uh, were when I was at, at uni. And they felt like a very professional, very big step and a very big deal, Hmm. which now I look back and go like, how funny. (laughs) Because it was like the be all and end all of like, here's my picture. Now I'll get a job. (laughs) Um, And it was a very quick session and I didn't know what to do. So I just... I, I thought I could do this thing where I was like not smiling and then I would just incrementally smile a little bit every time he took a picture. And so it, there are a lot of these weird anticipatory expressions <laughs> where I'm like waiting for the next one. Um, but I did get a couple of really good photos. <laughs> so yeah, it felt like a very big deal. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because you know what you were saying earlier about, you, you know, you, when you start, you know how to act, but you don't know how to like yeah. run yourself as a business yeah. um, and get out there. And all you're told is like, oh, you need headshots. So you go and get headshots. But I think, I feel like back when I had headshots, we didn't have photographers who are really good now, who are really good at like talking to you and getting expressions out of you or getting yeah. capture, capturing part of you, which I think is the most important thing. 100%. Whereas, Whereas I think back then it was like you needed to be someone who was a little bit extra, a little bit who go there and pull all the poses and, you know, stand with different ways. And mm-hmm. I've just never been that person. So, no, like, I okay. basically didn't have a conversation with the person who was taking my photos. It was just, <laughs> other than just, yeah, stand here, stick your foot out. But expression-wise, I didn't know what to do. And I've, no. always, found it, I've always found it a bit awkward. I had just, yeah. Still now, I need to, you know, work with good people who, chatty (laughs) yeah and it's even like and it was also still on film like you couldn't stop and check yeah so it was just like really it was really funny and i remember because i i didn't know my face either like i think you have to prepare (laughs) in the mirror a bit and so i took all of these pictures and in my head i was like this very serious professional looking about to move to london given the look 
you know, performer. And then I just looked like I was about to cry <laughs> because if I do nothing with my face, I just have resting, I'm about to cry face. Um, so it, it just had, I had so many, I learned a lot doing those first headshots, but I did get some that I loved and I felt so proud of them. And I did the thing of like printing 50 and I was like, I'm ready to go. What am I going to do with these 50 headshots? I don't know, but I'll figure it out. And then I didn't do anything with them because I didn't really know what to do. I've still got a pile from almost 20 years ago <laughs> in the next room. It's crazy. Um, just, yeah, you're stuck with. And what was, when I when I left uni, um, the first job I got was actually the photocopying place. So that was kind of handy because then I was like, <laughs> color copying headshots. And, and I'm like, really, you know, proper good nice thick paper and <laughs> yeah yeah i just um, remember reading all these acting books and being like bring a headshot with you wherever you go and i was like okay <laughs> saskatoon i've got my headshot <laughs> going yeah. shopping like why <laughs> but i thought i was doing it well <laughs> Is there a piece of acting that you've seen on stage or on screen that has really blown you away? Um, too many to list. Yeah. I think probably the most recent ones, they're very, I, there's two that come to mind and they're very different. One is I love the show Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, yeah. For the whole show, I think it's the most theatrical, artistic design show that I've seen and I just love it. it's one of the best shows I've seen for performances that feel that little bit heightened but still real like they're all such big characters and it's such it's such a well-written script and doing the comedy and her whole performance I can't remember what her name is Rachel something uh, Brosnahan yeah I'm terrible at remembering people in general names useless um and the other one that comes to mind which is a surprise to me is one piece <laughs> well, that's new isn't it it's new and it's i my husband got me to watch it and i really didn't like it at first because i didn't understand it at all and it's like the a live action kind of manga yeah it's uh, based on an anime i think yeah based on anime and once I sort of got used to it and he kind of had to pause it and explain, cause I've never seen much anime like that. Isn't what I ever watched, mm. but then having watched little bits of it, he was like, okay, I'm going to show you a clip of this. So you have a reference and then seeing how they brought that essence to life and the mm -hmm. actors did all their own stunts, which is the fight scenes in that show are so impressive. And the characters again are really enormous i think i'm in a phase where i'm really curious about people doing big performances like mm -hmm. not doing the really subtle you can see it in the eyes but like bringing something bigger to screen and so those two stand out because i found one piece very entertaining 
and it was completely different than anything I'd ever seen in terms yeah. of how it was shot and the acting styles and everything about it was just very unique. And I thought that must have been really interesting to act in because it was none of the rules, <laughs> you know, it was all so different. So I really respected them for, for how they pulled it off. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, I've watched quite a bit of Chinese cinema, Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, and there is a nice, I like it like when they do comedy, mm. when sort of East Asia do comedy, it's always a little bit bigger. And this was a bit nice. It's practically pantomime, especially I mean, if you just watch any Jackie Chan. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's all big and over the top, but it, it always manages to work. But, but it always manages to like the tone of it is just just right yeah and um whilst doing something a little bit charger. i forgot my no charger i'm so sorry you forgot what <laughs> my charger it wasn't plugged in oh no <laughs> <laughs> screw up the podcast forgot to plug it in. it's all a mess <laughs> mm -hmm. Are you good? Are you charging? I'm charging. What were you saying? Okay. <laughs> Editing skills. <laughs> oh, no, it was, it was, do you know what was fascinating? And no one's going to see this because this is just audio only, but what was fascinating was like watching your face go Attic. from, I'm listening, I'm listening to, fuck, fuck, what's yeah. that? And I was like, oh no. She's seen a rat. Has, is there something, you know, I was like, what? I was like, what's going on? Um, <laughs> yeah um yeah south asian yeah, when they do comedy it's they, they do go hard or go home it's 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 interesting and um equally what i'll say about the comedy in maze one i'm not caught up on maze one. i haven't seen i think i've only seen the first three series mm -hmm. so i think i've I think there's two that i've not seen so i think it's finished now isn't it yeah um but what i love about that is like that that show is so funny it's one of those things where you don't even have time to laugh because they've already done the next gag it's like oh my God, that's that. and sort of keep up with that pace as a viewer is nothing compared to what the active that's going on and the style because it's obviously it starts in the starts in the 50s right i think yeah um and yeah i love i love it i love i love stuff in the 50s America, I love like like costume and the old cars and um how to make New York like New York in the fifties and yeah yeah me too. I need to watch more things. I'm a terrible. I I'm not a very avid consumer of the things that I like making. <laughs> like I don't watch yeah. a lot of TV or watch a lot of movies. I'm so bad at keeping up with like what's happening and who's who and just terrible <laughs> which annoys directors a lot because a lot of directors have used like references of people to be like do you know the scene and blah blah, blah. and i'll be like no <laughs> you haven't seen the godfather no <laughs> uh, <laughs> like really big things that they should you know they can usually assume everyone's seen and people will use them as reference for direction and i'm like i really don't know what you're talking about sorry yeah but now we are overloaded with so yeah. much stuff anyway i mean you talk about not being able to keep up with stuff that's new well i, I don't know how anyone can there's not enough time um yeah. there's not and there's so much that's great like apparently I, <laughs> apparently i wish i had time to watch it all <laughs> but um, but yeah 
So, and have you always been like that then? Have you? Yeah. Always. I've never really been a consumer of things. And the worst part is I think my actor brain has been trained too well. So I'll like learn a script, know it off by heart and then immediately forget it. But that just applies to anything I consume. So mm. I can see a film, love it. And then like two months later, I'm like, have I seen that? <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> I don't remember anything. Yeah. And books as well, which is great because I can read the same book five times over 10 years. And it's always like the first time I read it because I don't <laughs> remember the story, um, which is shocking to people. But I think it, it's just brain energy and my brain just goes, yeah, that yeah. was good. Don't need to remember it. And I don't. Yeah. Well, I, I guess that's interesting. I always think, I mean, I don't want to psychoanalyze you. That's not what the point of this interview is, but that has sparked Free therapy, let's go. <laughs> that sparked a thought in me uh, about you, and that is that you are someone who is in the moment. Like, I don't, like, so that's, not to say, that's not to say you don't look back or don't look forward, but I would say at least 99.5% of the time, you, to me, you're someone that's very much in the moment. So, so you will enjoy something and then that's gone and now you're enjoying the next thing wherever you are. Yeah, that's a much you know. nicer way of putting it. I'm going to say that in the future as opposed to being like, I forget everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, I did this podcast, so you can listen to it here. It talks about how I'm in the moment. <laughs> like a headshot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next time someone says to you, oh, you haven't seen a golf I was like, well, you know, that was made in 1972. I'm living for now, okay? Maybe I have, maybe I have. <laughs> um, no, I do think that is, accurate and I also think I I have so many things that I want to do and make and in acting and in outside of acting and in I mean we now do many things in the industry and it just feels a bit like I could be creating opportunities and creating new things and oh, I've always cool. been a bit more of a creator crafter find something to do as opposed to find something to watch to my detriment because it means that there's a lot of learning that I I consciously now I'm like, okay, sit down and watch something because it isn't just switch off and watch. It's like, oh, I find this really inspiring and I'm starting to see it more from that side of things as well. Mm. Um, so it has been nice watching a bit more. The pandemic helped that because <laughs> I had time and yeah. I watched a lot. Well, I was, that's my next question. Um, how did the COVID pandemic affect you on a creative level? To be totally honest, it exploded my creativity, I think. Mm -hmm. I had, in a good way, I because I couldn't rely on, um, I shouldn't say rely on. I have this thing that I think a lot of other performers also experience in some way or another which is from insecurity since you brought up psychoanalysis we'll go there um, <laughs> but I think it's it's a thing that a lot of people experience which is sort of a if I don't give something really a hundred percent then I have those you know 20 percent or 30 percent to fall back on for the excuse as to why I haven't done the thing yeah. so I can you know, do something 70% of the way and be like, well, I tried. And in my head, I know, but you didn't get it. 
that's fine. You didn't get it because you didn't do this and this and this. So it's your own fault. It's not that you gave a hundred percent and just weren't enough. Yeah. And so that was sort of, uh, an ongoing kind of story throughout everything that I was doing that I didn't really realize until, uh, you know, the last few years, maybe a few years, you know, five, six years ago. And then during the pandemic, because there was nothing external that I could kind of do and go to it, it made me go like, well, I have to figure something out and I have to go for it a hundred percent because if not, I'm not going to pay my bills. <laughs> so that's when I created the the online accent challenge course. And I sent emails to loads of people. I got a job presenting interviews for a company. I got loads of things started to happen because I was just by myself. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> so I started to paint a lot and write a lot and create online programs and kind of do all of the things that for whatever reason I hadn't done because I, I didn't, I ran out of excuses not to do them. I was very mm. good at, I'm very good at planning for doing things and tricking myself into thinking that that's me doing the thing. <laughs> um, so I had planned an online course and researched and did all the things for ages. And then during the pandemic, I had to be like, okay, make the course, stop planning to make the course. Um, so it was and you you were living alone, weren't you, at the time? Yeah, I was living alone. I was in a flat that was a studio apartment in the ground floor of a building with no external light whatsoever. So it backed onto like a patio, but the patio was like at the at the bottom of in between two buildings. So there was no natural light, very little oh my God. natural light that came in. Um there's so no windows. Yeah, there were windows, but it was like like being a window of like an, an interior patio in a building. So there's no sunlight coming in. It's just you mm. look out the window and all you see is like the walls of the <laughs> the building. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't ever oh, enough wow. light to like light up the room. But really bizarrely, it was equally very hard. And then also like in order to make it through, I just had to go, right, what am I going to do with this time? Yeah. And it became almost like a survival technique of just like go for everything. Mm. <laughs> like Leave nothing behind because what else are you going to do with your day? So you might as well give it your all instead of giving it 70% and then going, well, I guess that's good. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, so it was very, it was very productive. Yeah, and then, uh, was that when you sort of came up with the accent challenge? Yeah, that was. That's, that's brilliant. Tell tell our listeners, especially that one in Saskatoon, um, <laughs> <laughs> about our. <laughs> to, to, yeah, tell about the the accent challenge. So I think it's brilliant. I think it's such a good thing. Um. The Accent Challenge is a four-week program covering five different accents from start to finish. So it was something that I wanted to provide because I know a lot of actors are interested in doing accents and don't know how to learn them and just think that either you can do them or you can't. And it's just not true. And I think I have a unique background in it because of learning other languages and trying to take on those accents and 
I didn't study it professionally in a sort of linguistics or voice MA situation. I just figured it out over years and years because I was naturally quite good at them. And so everyone always asked me for help coaching them or directors would be like, oh, can you help the rest of the cast? And so I just figured it out for myself over about two decades and then wanted to create a program that was it had feedback individually so people can, you know, hear how they're doing and what still needs work and how to work on it. But also that was like fun and affordable because a lot of accent work that I did was very boring and a lot of like IPA symbols and listen and repeat, which works for a small percentage of people, but certainly not for the majority from what I've worked with. And so the accent challenge I made it in the pandemic because I knew a lot of actors. I, I suddenly got swamped with new people being like, hey, I'm, I'd like to learn some accents since I'm not doing anything else. Um, and there was no way that I could have one-on-one -on -one classes with that many people. So mm. I built a program and it's still going. Um, and it's definitely fun. It is like so much fun. <laughs> You've done it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it yeah. is great. It's so great. Um, I'm so glad you started that. I think it's it's very unique as well. Um, and you say, I mean, you know, you say you can't, uh, you know, you, it's uh, the way it's designed is to alleviate sort of not having the one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. process. But then you give feedback to everybody that does it. Yeah. So that's that's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. Now it's available. So now we have, now I sort of have a, a larger umbrella company called Compass Arts. And we have the Accent Challenge now as part of that. And now there's an option to do it without feedback or with feedback. Oh. But um, yeah, the feedback is time consuming, but it's not, you know, spending a bit of time on each person. I'm happy to do because accents are very individual. I don't think you can mm. really do them without having feedback um but it's not an hour class per person for every you know it's it, it still saves a bit of time but also gives people what they need in order to continue improving yeah yeah and i like it because it's realistic i like that you from the get-go it's like you're only gonna get out this as much as you put in like the, the amount of work like anything really um but you know, it's, it's it's good to not. I think people just have an expectation of just like, oh, we will learn it and that's it. But it's less like you need to keep working on over yeah. and over and over. It's muscular accents are muscles. I mean, mm. the way you move your mouth, and so if you don't continue to move the muscles in that way, yeah, they'll forget. The same as you can learn a dance routine and then mm. ten years later do the routine, and your body might go. Mm. <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my body ten years later trying to get out of bed goes no. Um, no, I think you're right here. <laughs> what part of acting do you love? I love. <laughs> you already mentioned this word. I love the presence that it requires of you. Hmm. And I, because I'm quite a cerebral person i'm quite happy in my own company i'm quite introverted in that way i'm a quite extroverted introvert so i love people but like i definitely need to recharge on my own 
So acting, I think, um, is great because it helps give me like a bit of a framework for interactions with people. Like if I'm with other actors, I'm like, oh, there's a level of understanding immediately that I know we have. There's going to be some kind of shared language that I know we both use or at least can understand. And we both have to, in an ideal world, be present and listening to each other and just here. And it's a nice way of interacting with the world and interacting with stories and shutting off all of the chatter for a bit of like the ticking to-do list <laughs> um, of all of the things that I do and want to do. And, blah, blah, blah. and if I'm acting, I can kind of just turn that off completely and access a different part of myself. Cause I don't think obviously you can't ever become somebody else, but I think every character you play, you have to fall in love with that character. And then without sounding completely cheesy, every character is actually a part of yourself. So you actually fall in love a little bit more with yourself every time you play someone and you learn a little bit more about yourself and about the people around you and who you're playing with. And that kind of connection and community and I suppose empathy and diving in and playfulness and trying things is something that I love and I think most humans would benefit from a bit more of. And I just feel very lucky that I get to do it as part of my living. I'm I'm blown away by all that. I'm actually very I feel quite emotional. <laughs> Why do I like acting to make people cry? <laughs> um, but that's I love that. Yeah. So you know that you fall. What we said about falling in love with a part of yourself. I think that's so beautiful. I've never heard that before, and that is uh, that's incredibly powerful. Um, thanks, Holly. That's awesome. And now, what part of acting do you not love? <laughs> part of acting do I not love? Um, well, the opposite. I don't love when it does feel very much, because sometimes it does feel very much like a job and you're working with a team that aren't necessarily the people you naturally gel with. And hmm. there's sort of a barrier or something about the I mean we don't all get on with everybody in the world in the same way so there are people sometimes that you have to be in this vulnerable situation with that you don't necessarily you wouldn't necessarily choose them but they've been cast so you have to do it um and I don't love and this is changing I don't love the competitiveness that's involved in it I think it's completely unnecessary because there's room for everybody. And I think it was your first guest, was it Katie, who yep. said community, not competition? Yeah. Something along those lines. Yes. Um, and that's something, that's a much more concise way of putting it. Um, but that's what I believe in. So I, I don't like when there's competition instead yeah. of community. I don't like when yeah. people aren't cheering for each other. Yeah, I think yeah, it's very hard. It's very hard not to feel competitive, isn't it? I think, mm -hmm. but 
I also think it all depends on where you are on your journey and and what kind of other experiences you've got. So I think having been on the other side and um, been in charge of other creative projects and uh, like held auditions for people and and been on that side and finding how hard that is actually um, to make decisions when you've just like talent, 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 and it's like who do you choose and you know yeah. you've got to, you've got to disappoint people um yeah but it does it does make it easier to see that like the reason you're not getting roles isn't because you're not talented because you know yeah. you wouldn't be given the opportunity to to shine because the, they've seen something in you to have got that far um yeah. i'm sure i've mentioned that countless times now but um uh yeah the, the community aspects are important sorry go no, it is very important. And I think on just building on what you just said about being on the other side of it, that also has made me, because I've been on the other side of it too now, and that's made me realize, because before, if you had asked me like 15 years ago what the worst part of it was, I would have mm. said the lack of acknowledgement, like just the not giving feedback all the time, not hearing, the. And then since being on the other side of it, I'm like, oh, my God, yes, it would be nice. But also I totally understand when they don't because it, it would take so much time to answer everyone. And like you really want to answer everyone and give them like a really thought out message. And then you look at your calendar and go, oh, my God, I cannot write an email individually with feedback to 250 people. No. <laughs> like I, I can't so I think the business side of that now I understand it a lot more than I used to and I'm much more like there's no need to be rude obviously if people are rude in any way that's not acceptable but just not hearing back from something that side of it now I'm like that's fine <laughs> next yeah thing. I think I think it's I think it's good to be like if if someone has asked why, then I will find time to tell them yes. because I think it's important. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say straight off the bat, I will give feedback to everybody that auditions because like I say, it's kind of, it's impossible. Yeah. Um, uh, and, but I know like recently I had an audition um, last year uh, for stage and um, the audition went really well. Uh, I had a great time. I really enjoyed it, and um, I didn't get the, I didn't get the role. And I was like, okay, so I just wrote in and was like, I just love to know mm -hmm. why, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but just like um, I would just love some feedback because it's really important to have something to build on. Yeah. Um. So like when you mentioned like years of just like just mm. just. An empty space. It's just nothing. It's just like you went for a thing and you didn't get it, but that's all you know. You didn't get it. Yeah. Um, but then, like, getting the feedback um, and being told why I wasn't cast mm -hmm. had nothing to do with the audition. It was, it was, a, it was another reason. It was more about the, the dynamics of the cast they were building. And um, it is. It's almost never about. Yeah. Yeah. Your and, you know, I was told I. The, the director said, first note I put down in my notes when I was auditioning with you, he would be a valuable part of this team. He would be a valuable part of this production. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I was like, okay. So I guess just carry on. Just keep doing what I'm doing. The numbers until, Yeah. You know. Um, but so how, so in, in the past, how have you dealt with rejection? And I also maybe want to go back a bit and maybe if you want to talk about having those three big jobs that you got and then obviously you were, yeah. you were cut. How, if you can tie it into that maybe. Yeah. Or, or so I can tie it into that. So the, I think there are, there are for me two different types of rejection in the industry. Mm-hmm. One is just not being seen. So the, no, we don't want to see you. And the other one is we've seen you know you didn't get the part. And then now I discovered, thanks to that experience, <laughs> there's a third, which is, <laughs> no, you're not in the final thing. <laughs> so it's just like three levels of it. And um, it's changed how I've dealt with it and felt about it has changed over time. I find the most difficult one to deal with the first one of no, you're not getting seen because I, I have this feeling that that's the most unjust somehow. (laughs) It's just like, okay, let me just show you something at least, you know, whereas submitting for things and you read the brief and you're like, yes, that is me. And they don't see you that I find the most kind of, that's the hardest one for me to let go of mm. being seen and not being cast. Now I don't take personally at all mm-hmm. because I know the dynamics and I have done what you did of writing and saying, why am I not being cast and had a, a two sentence response back. And it just said, frankly, it was between you and another person you're blonde, the lead is blonde, so we cast the brunette. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> as bonkers as that. As simple as that. Um, you're too short, you're too tall, we want yeah. to, you know, it can be all kinds of things, especially for screen. So that I don't take personally anymore at all, because I also now, and it's just experience that's taught me this, I have had the experience of not being cast in something and being called for something bigger. Mm. And it turned out that in that situation, I wasn't cast, but it's because if I was cast in that role, they couldn't have given me the bigger role that they gave me in the end. And I've also had the experience of being just not cast at all and then called back for another project, having a role age changed so that they could cast me. So it goes both ways. You know, there, there are things that you can't control that can go in your favor and can go not in your favor and you just have to keep doing it. So that I think is easier to deal with now. And I'm genuinely just happy for the people who get the roles and very often watch them and go, yeah, (laughs) that was you. That wasn't me. Um, And the third kind of rejection of doing the job and then not being in it. Yeah. That sucks. And that's something that I wish people talked about more in the industry because the number Mm. of people that have even small roles, but it does happen to big, you know, big performers as well that quite famously get the whole role cut from something. Um, It happens a lot and it can be for very valid reasons, but it's, it's not something that I was prepared for. 
the feeling of, you know, the BBC show. I was on set for two weeks. I had a fair amount of text. I had direction. I had, you know, it wasn't like a lead role, but I was cut in the end. I realized because all of my lines were plot moving lines. So I was the character that like ran in to bring information from A to B. And in the editing room, that wasn't needed. It was clear in the edit without me running in going, did you say he killed her? Whatever I was saying. It, It just wasn't necessary. It wouldn't have helped the story. So I could totally see why I was cut. In the film, I was cut because my whole scene was at a wedding. And the film was Love, Rosie. And I was playing the lead guy. I don't remember his name. I was playing his his like young stepmom. And it was all this drama with like his parents and their newly remarried partners who didn't get on. And it was this whole thing at a wedding and all this little bickering and dialogue and checking in on him. And it was a very funny time filming it. And I had a great time. But that whole scene depended a little bit on some backstory that in the shooting schedule was being filmed after we filmed the wedding scene. And because of logistics, that scene didn't get filmed. So then without that backstory, everything that we had shot had no context and got cut from the film. And then the other one I was cut from, the whole scene just wasn't, it was cut. We spent three days filming it. It was for Penny Dreadful. It was amazing. I was with Josh Hartnett and he was on my wall when I was 12. So like, that's fine. Caught me from (laughs) I had a great time. (laughs) Um, But it was it was cut down to like three lines. And he had this huge speech that was also completely cut. So I couldn't take that personally because I was like, well, that's nothing to do with me. If the whole, you know, I wasn't that important. I said like three things and did a lot of yippee. And I was this cowgirl. But it surprised me because there were like 200 extras brought in and they set up this whole circus and they cut it down to, you know, three lines. Yeah, yeah. So that I do find that still hurts if I think about it. That is a hard thing when it's something that you care about so much and you put the work in. It feels a bit to me like rehearsing for a show for my entire life and then never getting to perform it. It, It's Mm. like you don't get the satisfaction of seeing the final product. And maybe it's my ego being like, I want to see myself on TV, like the two-year-old me with the watch on looking at myself. But I I do, you know, I don't think any actor doesn't want to have that moment of being in the cinema or turning on the TV and going, I did that. I did it. Um, So it, it is heartbreaking when that happens. And also very understandable and I wish people talked about it a bit more because it's happened to so many people I know and nobody really Mm. knows how often things did you get get told ahead of ahead of time or did you find Uh, out when you were going to watch these things that was the hard thing so the the movie I was told right um because they knew pretty early on it wouldn't be in the film without the the backstory being filmed the series, both of them, I wasn't told because as far as they're concerned, you're a minor part. Um, and they just don't tell you. And that's the communication that I think should be there. 
And I've heard stories even from pretty big performers who've had that happen where they, they suddenly realize they're not in. Cut from film, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a, a famous uh, director in America, Terrence Malick, who yeah. shoots, shoots for months and months and months and people tend not to know what his story is because I think it's that he doesn't yet. He's yeah. going to work it all out in the edit. And, you know, all right, people get paid and whatnot. But yes. some people turn up to movie premieres. I'm talking about big Hollywood A-list actors. Yeah. And they're not in it. And they're not in and it. And not even their agent has been informed, you know. Yeah, it's it's such a – it makes sense. I mean, it's something that, like, I think back and I go, how did, how did I not think about this that much before? Because you know how much film, how much they make and how much they, how much content they get and how much yeah. they cut. But it just, something in my mind, had it hadn't really occurred to me that, oh, this happens all the time. Like yeah. you can get the job and not be in the thing. Yeah. And you have yeah. to just take it as a success that you got the job. But what's yeah. heartbreaking about it at the time was just then it was like okay well I can't put these things on my CV because in the end I'm not in them you know that would be it would feel like okay if I could do that then I can do it with anything at any time and just be like I was in this I was cut you know it's it's very hard and of course they don't release footage unless it's in the official deleted scenes so that I think is a hard a hard thing in the industry that I've now come to terms with but it's it's never easy to be rejected in that way of that you've done a good job yeah and it, it it's just like what you said before though about casting like it's nothing to do with your talent there's a reason you're there it's to do with the story mm. and I think I didn't learn that until I started writing and directing a little bit more and realizing like oh it's it's just the story like your job as an actor is to tell your characters part of the story. And if that isn't needed to tell the whole arc of the story, so be it. It's, it's tough though. Yeah. I mean, I've got someone that I'm hoping to have on as a guest. Um, got, got a part in a, it was a Hollywood film shooting over here mm -hmm. with, 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 a, with a very big actor. And, you know, he was over the moon. He got he got a role. Got a, he had a day's work on it. He had to drive quite far. He got there, you know, on time or an hour before. Um, and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. And then um, the big actor in question didn't come in that day. She didn't, or overslept, or was going to run late. So I went, all right. Well, we we'll just we'll just cut this scene completely. And when I heard that story, so many things went through my mind, other than other than just sort of disappointment on behalf of a fellow mm -hmm. actor who's done the work, prepared, you know, gone through auditions, would have gone through callbacks. Um, but also, why is there a scene in a script that is so disposable? Yeah. <laughs> on, a, on a film which costs a lot of money to make. Like, why? It just doesn't make sense to me. You know, yeah. I think I think that is something else which happens quite often that people aren't aware of. They're like, you know, in these some of these big budget films, so many. They film a lot. How are they? How how are they being written? You know, 
And I know, like I know with really big stuff like those Mission Impossible films, like they're changing stuff all the time. They're very adaptable, but they're changing stuff. It must cost so much money. Yeah. And I can't think, I mean, either that or that, I guess they've got the bankability. I guess they've got, you know, the world's most famous actor involved in it and a huge fan base. So I guess they can kind of get away with it. That's the same with superhero stuff, like superhero films. I guess they, they film yeah. a lot and cut a lot of things. Yeah. But it's just, it does also feel like a bit of a waste of resources. <laughs> like, I, I imagine for like a couple of days filming, like scrap from like a Marvel film, you could probably make a whole, you could afford to make a whole feature film. You know? Oh God, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. 100%. It just, yeah. It just makes me, it just makes me realise how just absolutely insane this business is. Like, it's just so yeah. much of it doesn't really make sense. From a no, I think point. in order to thrive in it, you do have to sort of let go, mm. and and not not care, but you have to just focus on what you can do. So yeah. now I look back and I'm like, you know what? I went and I did my job and I had some great times and I learned a lot and I was paid and I got direction, which I'd always wanted. I, I, I got my dream, which was to be in a BBC period drama and I did it and I wasn't in it in the end, <laughs> but I still did the job <laughs> and I still had the experience and I have some cool pictures in costume, which I shouldn't have taken, but I did anyway. I'm glad I did because I wasn't in the thing. Um, and something else will come next the yeah. funny thing to me now is that it, the the my favorite call i get having done those experiences is when i get called for adr to go and re-record because then i'm like yes i know i'm in it because (laughs) (laughs) that means this scene is in the thing and they need me to fix the sound so i am in it (laughs) so now that makes me so exciting like when i get to go and record some adr i'm like boom i'm in it yes okay that's a great way that's a great way to look at the industry i love that if you get an adr calls folks yeah, and I've also had calls from <laughs> makeup and wardrobe before I've had the call that I've been cast, which is also hilarious. Oh, wow. So some of these departments are just very on it, and they'll, like, send the casting through the chain to the agent, blah, 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 blah. and in the meanwhile, the wardrobe person is like, hi, just call it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> who am I playing? What? <laughs> That's fun, <laughs> too. Oh, that's so cool. Do you have a funny or cringeworthy audition story? Oh, so many. Okay. The first audition I had in London, I I didn't know. So it was for one of these, like, showcase things for a new show so it was gonna be not entirely just a play reading but like a with blocking and everything but scripts in hand and of this new show and I think it might have been at the Broccoli Jack I don't remember it was one of these kind of very cool pub theaters and I had no idea where I was going I was in North London it was chucking it down with rain it was so miserable out and 
I had that moment on the tube where it just stops and stays stopped for like half an hour in between stations. So I was running late. I couldn't tell anybody. I get off the tube and I'd left my umbrella on the tube. So I had nothing to stop me from getting completely soaking wet. So I like slodge into this audition room almost an hour late by this point. Oh, stopping wet. Um, the one, <laughs> I think it was like, it wasn't the director, it was someone else who was there, an assistant director or something. Um, literally <laughs> went and grabbed me some paper towels. <laughs> As I was chatting, they were asking the question, you know, and tell us a bit about yourself in the chat. And I'm there like <laughs> drying off, completely soaked. So I got, the, you know, down to the level of wet rat as opposed to drowned rat. And then um, it was a monologue audition. I had to bring a monologue. So I said the monologue that I had brought, keep in mind, you know, come straight off the boat from Saskatoon. So I thought I was doing this really cool, innovative monologue and they had heard it in the UK like a billion times. And so I said, I don't even remember what it was, but I said the name of it. The director said, oh, we've heard that a couple of times today. Do you have something else? And I didn't. And I just mm -hmm. went, yeah. <laughs> and I made up a monologue on the spot. Uh which went surprisingly well. I had like said, oh, it's by a Canadian writer and just like rambled off a friend of mine's name, <laughs> improvised, you know, the director, okay, what do we need to know? And I was just like, shit, 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 shit. Yeah. Rambled off like this speech, totally winged it, finished, thought, oh my God, I can't believe I pulled that off. Great. That went much better than I thought it would. And then the director <laughs> goes, okay, that was really nice. Um, can I just see it again, but this time? <laughs> and I was like, I made it up. I'm so sorry. Bye. And I just walked out of the room. I didn't even response. At that point, I was so embarrassed. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. So I just deer in headlights. Just like, I made it up. I'm sorry. Bye. And I left. Wow just horrific and I remember getting on the tube going back home just going oh my god <laughs> what have I just done that could have been my chance um, <laughs> that's hilarious <sighs> and then there were many other stories of just the things that you're asked to do in particularly commercial auditions just a thousand stories of look at humiliation this. Yeah, look at this paper bag as if it's your boyfriend and you haven't seen it for 10 years and then you open it up and that's a very sensual moment for you. Okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I also have had the experience of walking in the room and going, hi, I'm Holly, and them going, no, no, thank you. Really? <laughs> and just going, Okay. Oh my god. That. Yeah. So that was a funny one. That one I did find really hilarious. <laughs> because it was so blunt. I was like, great. At least I don't have to go through all of the spiel. <laughs> like, if you know that quick. Yeah. I'm happy for you to just tell me <laughs> before I have to caress a tree or something ridiculous. <laughs> like Yeah, that's awful. That's awful. I, I like to think that doesn't happen anymore, especially yeah. if you've got an arranged 
an arranged audition. Yeah, like, no, I don't think it does happen anymore. And most know. things are on self-tape now anyway. So like a lot of it, you're, you're not having those super cringe stories anymore, which is kind of a shame. That is a huge shame. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you have a preparation ritual before you do any acting? Or are you superstitious at all? Uh, I'm not superstitious necessarily in acting. Well, for theatre, yes. So theatre, um, and I also do this because we run here like acting retreats and stuff. So wherever, if I'm ever working in person with a group of actors and it's not on camera, because on set it's a very different atmosphere. But in theatre or in a retreat or anything like that, um, I do sort of... <laughs> greet the space like I I tend to sit for a second and if I'm working with other people they usually do it with me and now I've got this whole group of weirdos who greet theater stages and stuff um but I do sort of sit with my hands on the stage and sort of just say or think about all of the people who've been there before and all of the things that they have left on that stage and all of their talent and energy and dreams and that I bring that with me into my performance and hopefully leave something in the space for the next people to tread the boards. So I do kind of have a before a show at the end of the run um, and in the retreats it's in the houses that we work in sort of thank the house for holding us and taking all of our energy and all of our everything within it and and that I think it, it helps me feel much more of the community, even of the people who aren't necessarily there, that I think theaters are special places mm. and they do feel quite sacred to me somehow. So I like to respect them in some way <laughs> before I... I like that. I think that's very cool. Yeah. That's pretty lovely. How has acting or, or, or the business changed since you started? Oh, I think it's changed hugely in many, many ways. It's much more open. I think there's still a way to go. Um, but a lot more people are able to be seen, largely from the fact that a lot of things are self-tapes. I think that has its pros and cons. But one of the pros is that a lot of more people are able to be seen for things. Hmm. I think people are putting up with a lot less of the kind of toxic <laughs> environments, particularly on sets. Um, I've noticed a huge change, like I said, in interactions with agents and casting people and just the, the tone of the messages is much more conscious of the fact that everyone is human. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I also think, this is something I've been thinking about lately, I think there's, because of the self-tapes and perhaps because of social media a little bit, there, and maybe because I work with a lot of actors who are just starting out, there does seem to currently be even more expectation that it will happen immediately in people that are just graduating. Mm, that's interesting. 
and I don't know if that that's completely just my own experience. I don't know if it's anyone else's experience, but I've kind of been noticing this thing of like, it's immediate, like make the videos and send the tapes and social media. And it's, it's right now it's happened. And there's a shift somehow in like the work ethic. And I think it's, it's got a lot to do with good things in the industry and people are being much more aware of, you know, mental health and staying healthy. And um, yeah, the, and I, I can't quite yet put it into words because I think about my training and go, God, I did so much at once and I was pushed to do a lot and I completely burnt out. So I don't advocate for doing that, but I do advocate for pushing people out of their comfort zones and letting them prove that they are capable of doing a lot of things and working really hard. And, and so there's a, this weird thing that I've been noticing lately that I don't think I'm articulating particularly well, which is just this anticipation and expectation that it will happen very quickly. And also with that, that it should happen without putting a whole lot of effort in. <laughs> um, yeah i was going to ask you when you mentioned there was a change in work work ethic um so yeah so you're finding people have got sort of unrealistic expectations as soon as they're yeah if, in if terms, they're very green to the business yeah in terms of what it takes i've noticed a lot of that and it could just be my own the people that i happen to have worked with extremely talented people i mean not that they're not working but it's this thing of like doing work and then waiting is it going to happen okay <laughs> and then they do the work again um it's a weird something that i can't quite my finger on yet that's to do with it should be immediate or i give up hmm. that i feel like has has changed in the last 10 years or so and I don't know really why I don't know if it's social media or that there's so many things being made so people feel like well if I can't get cast in anything and it's been a year hmm. you know maybe it's just that it feels like there's so many more opportunities surely one of them and then there's a lot of people that I've met who are feeling really down about it and I'm like you've only graduated a year ago <laughs> like give it some time put some get to know everything about yourself and how you work and who you are and other people and make you know experiment with things so I think that's something that I've noticed a bit of a shift in but again that could just be my personal experience yeah it sounds like people have only a very um they have an idea of what success is yeah and that idea is like stratospheric mm -hmm. kind of high profile acting and that's it and if you're not doing that then you're not a success yeah well, we know that like <laughs> there's another 99 percent of people making up the rest of the work who yeah, are working who are, who are who are doing things and they get to walk down the street and you know they're not going to the Oscar's party after party or whatever, but people are still doing the doing the work, and yeah. um, it needs to be. 
it's definitely changing. Having said that, though, I think the flip side of it is the people that are staying in it now are very much doing many things. Like they're like, I'm going to direct, I'm going to write. And they don't seem to have, when I trained and started acting, there was very much sort of a rhetoric of like, this has to be everything. Like you have to be a hundred percent in. It was very, there was a lot of pressure. If like, if you're an actor, you're an actor. Like mm. if you're a writer as well, mm, that's time you should be putting into acting. Whereas yes. that I feel like has changed a lot and people are much more, multidisciplinary across industries and even within the industry um that seems to be much more acceptable which i love because it gives so many more people opportunities to earn a living even if they're not acting they could be yeah. or they could be doing people have many skills you know transferable skills um and i think that's changed in a really good way yeah yeah i totally agree i don't i don't think i know anyone who just does one thing no I think back when I started, I just knew actors. But now, everybody I know does at least two things. And yeah. I think it's, that's, that's just been the evolution of um, sort of keeping keeping the creative juices flowing, looking into other areas of business um, that you can give to and um, that you can, you know, learn other skill sets. Because, yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, about 20 years ago, it's very much like, oh, you're an actor, you're a director you're a producer, you're a writer, and you can't do anything else other than those things. Yeah, it was and very it's... like acting is life. Like it was... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I also wonder if, it, like it's, again, I don't have the answers, but I also think about that in the same terms of what I was saying before. If there's something that's very freeing that people nowadays are going, well, I'll try something else. I can do many things. Yeah. And I wonder if it's tied into this expectation of like, well, I gave it a go for a year. I'll do something else. It didn't work. You know, <laughs> like, um, I don't know. I am very curious about it. Mm. That's an interesting observation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what's something you do that brings you joy that isn't connected to the industry? So many things. Oh, good. Where do I start? Um, <laughs> hiking. Mm -hmm. It's a big one, very long distance hiking over multiple days. I love, um, I love anything that I can do with my like crafting type things like macrame or stuff with building things with wood or I don't know, like I'm not particularly good at any of them. Painting, anything that I can make something and go, I made that. <laughs> <laughs> it's mediocre and I loved it <laughs> um, I think is great I really like writing I'm getting much more into writing brilliant so many things I love animals I like playing with my dogs I like physical activity I like great conversations any you know there's so many things that I find fascinating and joyful just exploring new places go to a new town and walk around and and you make you make time for that specifically like. yes yeah. yeah the good side of being a self-employed artist is that sometimes you have a lot of time on your hands to do a lot of other <laughs> things and sometimes you don't but um i try to find 
at least some time every week to, even if I have a really full day, to just go for a walk and get out into the trees a bit and, you know, do the, do the self-care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started? It's not serious. <laughs> <laughs> what What's not serious? Life, but the industry, like it's not, it doesn't have to be serious. Hmm. You can take it all as play, which is what it is. If you don't enjoy the whole play, including all the auditioning and submitting yourself and trying this and trying that, and it, it, it won't work for you you know mm. you have to find the way to even if you have to trick yourself into enjoying it like counting the things you submit for instead of counting your casting you know what finding ways that you that I can have fun mm. and that it can and that I can be professional without being serious I used to be oh. very like you have to take it seriously and I get really annoyed as I was the child telling everyone he made a mistake and not me, but I would be very like, this is serious. <laughs> and now I'm like, it's not serious at all. We're all just <laughs> we're living like, let's call it what it is. <laughs> it's yeah. professional and it's wonderful and moving and I think necessary in the world, but it, it isn't serious. Mm. And people take it too seriously rather than professionally. And I, I think like bringing a bit of light and levity into it helps everyone yourself and everyone you work with and i've certainly noticed it yeah yeah well it's that kind of uh yeah it makes me think of um my day job i work in a box office mm -hmm. and now and again you know things might go wrong we might have to cancel the show or change the start time or you know the, the big star can't perform or whatever and you know we're gonna get an influx of people who are going to have various opinions and a lot of them quite negative. Mm -hmm. But we always say, you know what, guys, it's just tickets. Yeah. It's just tickets. Yeah. It's not, it's not life. <laughs> it's just tickets. It's just <laughs> but yeah, I like that. I like that it's not serious. That's brilliant. And I think that dis distinguishing professional from serious has been a big shift. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, because it should be fun, you know. Everything should be fun. Every industry should be fun. Otherwise, it's work, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And Otherwise, it's work. It is work. You know, let's be honest. Sometimes it is work. There's there's <laughs> days, even if you're doing what you love, that still feel like work. But yeah. if you can talk to yourself a bit and go, "Come on, I might be freezing and in the rain and waiting to shoot," but look what I'm wearing, look, <laughs> look at all these people, at least I'm not dealing with all the cameras trying not to be drowned in the, you know, like there's so many, Yeah. you can always look around and go, be professional, but it doesn't have to feel so serious. Yeah, um, yeah, that's brilliant. And um, is there a piece of advice that you've received or a piece of direction, if you can recall, that has sort of stuck with you? Um, there are a lot of them. The, the one that I come back to again and again and again 
in preparation and in performance and a lot in life is from Kristen Linklater. She told it to me and she just said, every breath is a new opportunity. Mm. Don't, don't skip the breath because mm. then you're skipping the inspiration. And so anytime I feel a bit stuck or like I don't really know what to do or I'm not really feeling it or I'm not really in it, I always just go new breath, new inspiration, new opportunity, breathe. <laughs> and then that just brings me back into it. So the advice That's is lovely. always just breathe. <laughs> Very profound and powerful. That's, yeah, I like that. And inspire is the same as inhale which I love. Mm. So you used to say inspire and expire were the words for inhale and exhale. And so an inspiration is a breath, literally, linguistically. And so I always remind myself of that, that there's no inspiration without breath. And I tend to hold my breath <laughs> if I'm <laughs> like everyone, you know, most people do. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. Always oh, coming to the end. Mm -hmm. it's a shame I'm really enjoying this me too is there, is there a book that you read I know you said you don't always recall stuff you can see but is there a book that you would recommend to help someone with their creative pursuit Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert Big Magic yeah. okay Big Magic for anyone who's doing anything artistic and creative in my mind is a must read um and also Atomic Habits, I think, is a really good one for people to read as well, which is James Clear. James Clear, I think, yes. Um, but Big Magic, brilliant. Anyone who's going to be creative needs to read Big Magic. <laughs> That's it. We'll, we'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and is there um, anything you'd like to achieve that you haven't yet? Or is there something in, in the future that you're, you're working towards? A lot of things. So um, I think I mentioned that now everything that I'm doing is kind of under this umbrella of Compass Arts, which I work yes. And we do a lot of things. So we have a recording studio. So we do that work. We do actor training online and in retreats and theater production. And we're very close to having our first series that we've written be greenlit. So wow. that's the next the next big thing that I'm hoping to achieve sometime soon is to get to see something on TV that I conceptualized and made. Um, that feels very exciting. And I can't be cut from it because I made it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's still very much in process, uh, but I do feel confident that it, it will happen at some point. And I love the thought of being able to bring talented people together hmm. to work on something and give opportunities to people and provide work for people. And yeah. it just makes me so excited to think about doing that. So we're working hard <laughs> to get there. And it's looking good. Is this something you've written? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. There are two in the works. One is nonfiction 
um, and one is fiction that we've written and the nonfiction, this industry. That's something I hate about the industry, all the flipping non-disclosure agreements that you have to sign. So you get to do really cool things and you can't talk about them at all. Yeah. <laughs> that, I should have said yeah. that when you asked me what I don't like. That's a big yeah, thing. It's hard, isn't it? It's a particularly like, yeah, when you're working on big stuff, yeah, or where, or where a lot of money is involved, yeah, you've got those NDAs. But I was thinking about like, I, I've got some friends that do a lot of um, mocap and work on yeah. these big computer games, and like they can't talk about it until the day of release, and they would have been working on it for like three, four years. Yeah, just each day leaving their home. Have a good day at work. Yeah, we'll do. Can't tell you where I'm going. You know, it's just... yeah, it feels like being a spy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. is. And then I just like I know this, this. There was a new game that came out recently, and just my social media was full of all my friends going, "Hey, I can finally say I worked in this game." It's just, just like four or five people I knew, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, yeah, it's so video games are like so. The NDAs are insane. Yeah. Well, they're big. They're much bigger. They make more money than films. Do. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I've never signed an NDA that was so extensive as when mm. I voice games. Yeah, and that's a whole experience in and of itself because the people in the room via Zoom or whatever when you're voicing a video game are like, God, there's teams and teams and a team from Japan and a team from here and a team in yeah. Ireland and a team. <laughs> and you're there going. Huh. And then they all have to discuss whether that was the right huh or not. <laughs> cool. Well, I think that brings us to the end. Sadly. Um, but I end these podcasts in the same way. And that is um, by the questionnaire from the inspirational Bernard Pivo, who inspired my favorite interviewer, James Lipton from Inside the Actor Studio. We came up with 10, 10 questions to end an interview. I've stopped I've stopped saying they're rapid fire because as soon as I rapid fire, all my guests have gone, Oh, okay, yeah, I'll try. And they're like, so I'm not saying rapid fire anymore, even though I know I've said that three times in the last sentence. So um, rapid fire, not rapid okay. <laughs> in your own time, the first thing that comes to your mind. But quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I sound like a bad director during a casting call, don't I? <laughs> could you could you give me more, but like a bit less? But it's um, me, so you have to be like, do you know that performance in this movie <laughs> that you may or may not because <laughs> you were so present. Uh, <laughs> go fast, gotcha. <laughs> All right, Holly. What is your favourite word? Inspiration. Correct. <laughs> what is your what is your least favorite word? That's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. My least well, if I'm gonna be completely honest, my least favorite word is no. <laughs> Common answer. Yeah. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Does it, does it have to be one thing? Or are they like three questions? No, no, well, it can be whatever you whatever you want it to be. The thing that turns me on is having people around who inspire me and motivate me and who I think are very talented. 
that sort of covers all basis because I end up creating things for and with them, mm. having that connection with them. And that connection flow state, I think, is very spiritual. Yeah. And what turns you off? <laughs> Too much bureaucracy, <laughs> to be honest. Indeed. Too many hoops to jump through and, like, jargon to read and ugh, admin to do. What is your favourite swear word? <laughs> my favorite swear word uh can i say it is this like a bleeped podcast <laughs> my favorite swear word is just the f word fuck but i like it better in spanish which is joder because you get to have a little like <laughs> in the word. how do you say it joder joder yeah j-o-d-e-r joder and okay. that hook oh, is very satisfying to me. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, what sound or noise do you love? That, like made by people or just in general in life? <laughs> However you interpret the question. Uh, sound or noise that I love. This is going to sound very cheesy, but we have dogs. And I love waking up in the morning and hearing all of the dogs breathing and everyone's still asleep. And my oh. husband is asleep and I can just hear everyone having that like relaxed in and out breath. And I go, oh, everything is wonderful. <laughs> and what sound of noise do you hate? I hate the sound of those styrofoam, like polystyrene packing things mm. when they run up against each other and it kind of squeaks. That to me is like nails on a chalkboard. Okay. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Psychology. I think therapy, um, writing, many, many. <laughs> I'd quite like to study the brain. Yeah. And what profession would you not like to do? Accounting. <laughs> Anything with numbers and being very organized. <laughs> Whatever falls into that category, I'm out. Fair, fair. Well, and your final question. If oh. heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Congratulations. You were yourself. And I Beautiful. don't think I'm quite there yet, but working on it. That's brilliant. Well, Holly, thank you so much for being on Don't Think Act. Thank you. Um, is there anything you want me to plug? Do you want me to? Because I like to put things in the show notes for people so I can link your Compass Arts yeah. you website. Yeah, there's a website. There's a whole platform. We have a community as well starting in 2024, which is, you know, it's paid, but it's cheaper than Netflix. And we send stuff to you every single day for the whole year of little bits to read and taping challenges. And we've got a short film festival all kinds yeah. of things that are going to be coming up um, as well as online courses and retreats and maybe casting for a TV series. We'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. See what happens. If not now in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, linking that would be, would be great. Amazing. Well, yeah, yeah. I'll link that in the show notes. Um, and um, yeah, your website as well. For anyone that's looking for dialect yeah. coach, I always recommend you, whoever I speak to. Yeah. 
Um, so thank you so much. This is an absolute blast. Thank you. It was so nice to talk to you. Well, thank you, Holly. It was just an absolute blast to chat to you. And um, I hope everyone really enjoyed that. She's just such a wonderful human being and so talented. Um, one thing I did think of, actually, was when you were talking about uh, that you don't consume a lot of things, but um, you're now getting into watching things was a slightly bit um, out there, a bit over the top. I would highly recommend um, the Oscar winning Everything, Everywhere and All at Once, if you've not seen it. Um, I think that would be right up your street. I think you'd like that sort of heightened humour. Um, and everything else that goes with that uh, quite unique film um, yeah that was just so so wonderful I think Holly you. I think the interesting thing about Holly is that wherever she's gone in the world she has managed to adapt and even though she's not um, felt like maybe she's always fitted into a certain uh, way of working in some countries, she always manages to achieve something there. And um, adapt and change is, you know, one of the things I carry with me all the time. And she's a great, great uh, credit to that saying. She's the example of that. She adapts and she changes wherever she goes. She finds something. And um, she really does make a difference. And she makes a difference to a lot of people she works with. So, um, yeah. I will link um, the Compass Arts website in the chat and uh, the Instagrams, get following them, um, get following uh, Holly if you want any help with accents, dialects, she's just an absolute whiz. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, just please keep listening, keep telling somebody about the podcast, keep um, following on social media and um, more importantly keep creative take care